Well, thank you, Maggie. Thank you, Ashley. And I want to say hi to everyone watching us uh, right now. Wonderful to have you with us uh, today. Uh, before we get to the sermon this morning, uh, I just wanted to share with you the extremely painful decision that uh, we made yesterday as the governing commission of elders to suspend on-campus Sunday worship. Uh, we felt in light of the increase of cases happening here in Orlando and our heart to keep our church safe, uh, we made the collective decision to suspend our on-campus Sunday morning worship until further notice. So we'll monitor weekly uh, what is happening, uh, seeking the best guidance we can uh, in the days ahead. Uh, but I'd ask for you to pray for our church leadership, uh, pray for God's wisdom, pray for discernment uh, as we seek to figure out how to lead during this season. Uh, pray for those in our church who have already been affected by COVID-19. And, and I would ask, especially this morning, uh, wherever you're watching from, um, I, I ask you to pray for the unity of our church. Uh, we are made up with uh, very different people across the Orangewood family uh, from many different perspectives on this issue. And so I ask for you to pray for unity, that uh, we are committed deeply to one another, committed more deeply to the gospel uh, in these days. And my hope and prayer is that we will come out more vibrant more renewed, stronger at the end of this pandemic together. Uh, if you're new with us this morning and you're watching, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're with us. I want to say hi to you. I'm so glad you're here with us. Glad that you could be with us today. And, and really, you're, you're joining us at a really great time. Uh, we are in a sermon series called Wise Versus Lies. And we're looking at the ancient wisdom uh, from this book in the Bible called Proverbs. Uh, and what it has uh, to teach us today. And, and, and there's so much great stuff in here uh, that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we've, we've talked about wisdom and its implications for our lives. Uh, we've talked about words and the value of words, the words we speak and the words uh, we receive uh, from others. Um, we talk about the, the life that uh, we have, um, that we are called to live. Last week, we talked about the importance of forgiveness how do we forgive others and how do we ask for forgiveness? And so I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those messages and all that God has to teach us in them. Uh, but it's so great to be together today. You see, because the book of Proverbs uh, is this instruction, this guidance for our life. How do we live? How do we engage with this world? You see, Proverbs was written to people uh, that they would have stability in a world of instability. Uh, that they could find a foundation, a life, uh, a place to look, a place to go, a foundation when every other foundation in their world was eroding away. And so today we find ourselves looking at this wonderful, wonderful book. And so wherever you're watching from this morning, um, I encourage you uh, uh, to engage with us. And if you're willing and able, and I know it's going to be weird because you're watching from home, but if you're willing and able, I'd invite you to stand uh, for God's authoritative and inspired word to us this morning from the book of Proverbs. Um, as you're standing, uh, let me read uh, our Proverbs that'll guide us for today. Uh, Proverbs 24, 19 says this, fret not yourself because of evildoers and be not envious of the wicked, 
Proverbs 27, four. Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Proverbs 14.30, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Proverbs 23.17, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This morning, I would like to talk to you about envy and its destructive power in our lives. You could call it the coffin of comparison. And this morning, whoever you are and wherever you are watching us from, I want you to know that I do not have this one figured out. And the more you get to know me, you will know there is not a lot that I have figured out, but especially envy, I do not have figured out. Um, and I want to share how bad it can be. Um, a couple years ago, uh, Rachel and I were heading home uh, from visiting family in North Carolina. Uh, what was a 10-hour trip was supposed to be a 10-hour trip. It turned into a 14-hour trip. Um, if, have you ever been driving with small kids for a long journey? It always takes longer than you thought it would. And in that car ride home with Rachel, I, I said to her about halfway, I said, this trip, this ride has taken a few years off of my life. Uh, but as we uh, made our way into our neighborhood, as we journeyed into uh, our home, uh, we, we pulled into our driveway. And as I'm pulling in, I'm beginning to notice this dead brown grass uh, there in my yard. Uh, and uh, this is August in Michigan. And I know some of you Floridians, you, you cannot imagine this. You think there's this block of ice that always hangs over Michigan. And that is not true. It, it can get very hot in the summer there. And, and, and just so you know, uh, we do not wear chains on our tires in the winter. That's free, but just wanted you to know that. But uh, there I was, I see my dead, brown, dying grass. And I look over and there is my neighbor's yard green, flush, alive, flourishing. And in that moment, as we pull in, and I have not said any words at all, uh, Rachel knew what was going on. Uh, Rachel knew something was going on in my head. And right there in that moment, uh, she leaned over to me and lovingly said to me, uh, I know what you were doing. Stop comparing our yard to theirs. Uh, it's amazing how uh, your spouse, after years, knows who you are and how you see the world, uh, and, and they are able to speak to you and know what you are thinking, even when you have not said a word. But do you find yourself playing the comparison game in your own life? Do you find yourself struggling to see others succeeding, uh, others being promoted, uh, others making more out of their career than you? Do you find yourself comparing yourself, your house, your looks, your bank account, your retirement, your college? Well, there's three things that we must see this morning. Uh, first, the cancer of envy. Second, the conditions of envy. And last, the cure for it. Uh, the cancer of envy the conditions for envy, and last, the cure for envy. First, let's look at the cancer of envy. 
Uh, over the past uh, month, I've been reading articles from Atlantic, Forbes, Fast Company, Huffington Post, you name it, and they are all saying the exact same thing. The comparison game is killing us. Uh, one author uh, says it like this, focusing on lack will literally kill you mentally. Uh, this is why envy just eats away at our own heart. Uh, envy is consuming us rather than living life in freedom and the security that God longs for you and me to have. Uh, we find ourselves living stressed out, tired, overwhelmed, defeated, and insecure. Envy is a cancer. But these great articles and all that they have to teach us and speaking to and validating what envy is doing in our lives are only speaking to and validating what the book of Proverbs has been trying to tell us for thousands of years. Uh, this is actually what Proverbs 14 was read earlier. It says this, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. I love this phrase, a tranquil heart. Uh, the translators are trying to communicate the Hebrew uh, that is literally a heart in the place of healing. A heart in the place of healing gives life to the body. A heart in the place of calmness. A heart in a place of stillness. Uh, you, can, you can think a heart in the place of the lake that is calm and quiet and beautiful at 6 a.m. as the sun is coming up. Could you use a tranquil heart like that these days? You see, this is the life God wants for you. That's this life of flourishing, um, this life of complete calmness for you and for me, the tranquil heart. But on the other side, there is the reality that envy rots the bones. And I love this picture that it gives us, this, this picture that we have for the destruction of envy. It's, it, it doesn't just, you, just like you can't see someone's literal bones, you cannot see the destruction that envy is taking on our lives. Uh, it, it is a cancer. Uh, the, the destruction is happening from inside of us. We can feel it when others can't see it. Envy destroys from the inside out. It consumes our joys. It ruins our hopes. Uh, you, you may have experienced this a little bit in the grocery store line. Uh, you, you've, you're about to check out with the items that you have, but you get to the front and you realize there are only two of the 25 checkout lines open. And so naturally the line backs up into the middle of the store. Uh, the, the store manager recognizes uh, that the lines are backing up. And so they decide to open up checkout line five for checkout line three and four that are already open. And as you're standing in line, the people that have come behind you have run around you and have gone to checkout line five that is now open. And so you decide to sit there and stay in the line that you are in. But all this time, you are watching them, the people that were behind you, you are watching them with full intensity to see how fast they're moving ahead. Are they gonna check out of line before you? You can feel it within yourself. And God in his long suffering patience puts the person right in front of you who is checking out. They have come with a coupon for every item that they have. All 24 items. True story. 
And as you stand there and you see that happening, you see that person that has come behind you, they are now leaving the sliding doors, making their way to their car. Now, I hope it's not just me this morning that deals with this on a regular basis. I find it very easy to compare, but this is the comparison game that never seems to work out in our favor. There is always someone who has a little more of what we think we should have. There's always someone who's succeeding further than us, being promoted more than us, having the right image, having the right figure, having the right portfolio that we simply do not have. And this comparison game is making us more and more unhappy, more defeated and more unsatisfied. Theologian Ronald Rollheiser says it this way about the comparison game. He says this, so much of our unhappiness comes from comparing our lives, our friendships, our loves, our commitments, our duties, our bodies to some idealized vision of things. When that happens, and it does, our tensions begin to drive us mad, in this case, to a cancerous restlessness. Envy is a cancer. It eats away from the inside. It destroys our joy and ruins our hopes. So if envy is a cancer, how does it take hold in our life? How how does it seep all the way to our bones? Well, that brings us to our second point, the conditions for envy. Uh, I can't think of a better story to speak to the conditions of envy than the story depicted in 1 Samuel between David and And Saul, it says this. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, Saul's son, came uh, one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him, and he did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, and he gave it to David, along with his tunic, and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. And they danced and they sang. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Saul returns home from battle. Uh, The people come out to welcome him and they are welcoming him with songs and dancings. He enters with confidence. He, He enters, he hears the sweet sounds of praise and his accolades. But the song does not end there. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Uh, The song that he thought was for him and his honor is actually a song for David. 
there is no greater sting to the ego than to hear a song sung about you and how good you are, but there is someone else who is better. You can sense the insecurity that is growing in Saul. Uh, His son, Jonathan, begins to prefer David and to respect David more. Uh, The military armies are seeking David now for strategic advice. He is seen as the true warrior of Israel's people. David defeated the great Goliath. We should follow him. And right here, you see the conditions for envy. You see the comparison game growing. And we read at the end of these words that should give us pause. Saul kept a close eye on David. Saul is consumed. His his life from this point is filled with a great sense of sadness because all he can do is live his life comparing himself to David. And he's never going to be able to live up to these accomplishments that are David's. As Royal Hauser teaches us, the cancer of restlessness has set in for Saul. These are the conditions of envy. Our life becomes focused on not who we are, how God has created us, how he has wired us, how he has made us. Uh, it, It becomes fixed on someone else, their achievements, their body, their happy marriage, their career advancement, their home, their house, you name it. Saul kept a close eye on David. Author Gustavo Rossetti puts it this way. Envy is rooted in trying to be like someone else. When we are continually comparing to others, envy ends up poisoning our lives. Where you set your eyes will determine your situation. Where you set your eyes will determine your situation. Do you find yourself wishing for the life of someone else? Is there someone you keep saying, why why are they getting all the praise? What's all the fuss about? Is there someone you are comparing yourself and you've been comparing yourself for years, their, their house, their looks, their life. Is there a situation in your life where you feel stuck? Where you feel like things aren't working out like they were supposed to? Where you feel like you were falling behind? while others seem to be flourishing, while others seem to be coming out on top. You see, when we set our eyes on others and we allow their stories and their life to dictate our own, we allow them uh, to have the power over us, uh, the power and their voice that we keep hearing in our heads that, that we hear, why are they making it out in life? Why are they so successful? Why are they always getting approval? But I seem to be falling behind. And we can almost hear the song in the office. I have slain thousands, but they have slain the tens of thousands. Usually when we we see the cancer of envy get into our bones, it's through an area of uh, our life where we find ourselves victorious. Um, A a life where, where we used to be on top. You see, Saul used to be the best commander of the army. He used to be the one they sought for wisdom and advice for strategy. He used to be the one where they, they went to because he was honored and respected and acclaimed. But now there is someone better. I heard a story about a girl in a small town. Uh, she very early on people had recognized that she was clearly gifted musically. 
Um, she was the girl known in the town as uh, uh, that girl, uh, uh, that talent, that voice. And, and people would come out into the streets to sing her praises and to dance just like Saul. Uh, but as uh, she was in this small town, um, being the best singer in a small town, she was no longer satisfied. Uh, clearly, she was gifted. Uh, clearly, she had a voice. And so she moved uh, to the place where you could have the largest audience of all, the pinnacle of the world's achievements, New York City, where she auditioned for Broadway. And she, she tells the story as uh, she sat there uh, in that very small, confined New York City hallway uh, outside the door, literally an arm's length away to the door that on the other side meant all of her dreams being fulfilled, all of her wishes coming true, her true validation in this life. On the other side of that door, she waited in that small, narrow, confined New York City hallway. And as she waited with that door shut, she said she could hear on the other side of that door, someone singing the most beautiful, most natural, most effortless voice possible. You see, she, she heard someone on the other side of that closed door and her heart sank. Her heart sank through the floor because you see, she realized she was Saul. These are the conditions for envy. Have you felt this? Where have you set your eyes? Where has your heart sunk through the floor? Where we set our eyes will determine our situation. Now, I know what someone's saying. Well, well, Tyler, listen, you don't understand my life. You don't understand what's going on. Nothing has worked out in my favor. You see, I'm, I'm not in the job that I want. I'm, I'm not in the marriage I thought I would have. I'm not where I thought I would be at this point in my career. Nothing has worked out in my favor. I'm tired. I'm lonely. I'm stuck. Friends, this is not the life that God wants for you. See, God has gifted you uniquely. He's, he's gifted you just the way you are. He has not abandoned you. And he is with you no matter how far you feel that you have fallen. But sadly, we, we find that our hearts have sunk through the floor. Maybe not by sitting in a small, narrow, confined New York City hallway. But our hearts have sunk through the floor as we have scrolled through perfectly edited photos of someone else on Instagram. How, how we have read the stories that someone has posted on Facebook of the fact that they are pregnant. Um, how, how we have heard about the promotion in our office of someone else, even though they haven't been working in this industry as long as you have. Or the person who says they want to get together for coffee and over coffee, they tell you they've met someone. Where is your heart sunk through the floor? You see, ideally, uh, we would be excited when we hear of people succeeding. Ideally, when we hear these stories, their happiness should be our happiness. Uh, but the reality is their happiness means our pain. Uh, their happiness means actually our unhappiness. You see, envy is weeping because we see others rejoicing. I heard a, a short uh, autobiographical essay by Sir John Gilgood. 
John Gilgood, uh, British actor, uh, shared the story, uh, and, and he, he shared that it went something like this. He said, when Sir Lawrence Olivier, who was also another actor, played Hamlet in 1948, and the critics raved, I wept. When the critics raved for him, I wept. He was rejoicing, and therefore, I was weeping. Friends, that's envy. Have you fallen victim to this cancer called envy? Do you see the conditions of it working in and around your life? Do you, do you feel it making you sick from the inside out? That whatever achievements come, everyone is coming out into the streets to sing and to dance and to praise someone else. So what can we do? Well, that brings us to our last point, the cure for envy. How, how do we become the kind of people that no matter the success others receive, the success others find, we can rejoice with them. We can celebrate with them. We can cheer them on. Well, how can we? Well, the Proverbs tells us that we can have a tranquil heart that gives life rather than the cancer of envy that steals life. Where, where is the cure? Well, the reality is, as I said earlier, where we set our eyes determines our situation. The only problem is we've set our eyes on the wrong place. But the psalmist tells us there's one place we can look. He says this in Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. When we lift our eyes to the true deliverer of our souls, we find the tranquil heart that will calm all of our fears. We will find the cure. But not only will we find the cure, we will find actually the double cure. Now, what do I mean? You see, King Saul, uh, he saw his own lack and his heart sunk through the floor. But Jesus Christ, the true deliverer of our souls, saw our lack and his heart sunk through the floor. Uh, you see, Jesus Christ is the only true king who, who is worthy of the crowds to come out into the streets to sing his praises, to dance and to sing for him. But the psalmist, or I'm sorry, Isaiah tells us that he was crushed for our iniquities. You see, he was crushed for, for our envy, for, for our fretting, for our wanting, for our complaining, for all the times that we have wept when others rejoiced. But Jesus not only died for the cancer of envy that is buried within us all the way to the bones, but he gave in himself everything that we could possibly be looking for in someone else, for all the status for all the approval, for all the glory that we think we don't currently have, he gives to us. It's a double cure. You see, in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes this astounding claim to you and to me. It says this, he, Jesus speaking, he says, the glory that you, he's speaking to God, the glory that you, God, have given to me, I, Jesus, have given to them. Jesus says, all the glory all the approval, all the status, all the righteousness, 
all the inheritance, everything that I have accomplished on the cross, give it to them. This morning, what more in life do you want that right now you have for free by trusting in Jesus? All you have to ask is for him to cure you. For him to give you his status, his glory, and to recognize that he died in your place to take your status, the double cure. That's Christianity. That's the gospel. It's certainly not about how you fix the situation. <laughs> That's religion. Christianity is setting your eyes on the one king who died to give you his glory. The simple question this morning is, where have you set your eyes? And every other place that you set your eyes will demand something of you until there is nothing of you left. The gospel tells us everything you are looking for you can have for free in the one who has come and to all who will call upon his name, to all who will lift up their eyes to the hills, to all who will come out in the streets to declare the praise of the true warrior and the true deliverer of our souls. Have you done that? Do you see the cure? Do you see what is already yours? I remember one time I was flying back. It was a late at night trip, probably the last flight out of this airport. And of course, everyone is super restless. They're, they're, everybody's ready to get home. Uh, you can feel it in the crowd that's gathered at the gate. Uh, everyone's standing there. And as each zone is called uh, there by the clerk, uh, everyone has scooted up just a little closer that we're right on top of the desk at this point, just waiting to get on the plane, just waiting to get home. And I board and I take my seat. I'm on the center aisle. Thank you, Lord, for that. I'm on the center aisle. And as I'm sitting there and I'm getting adjusted and getting comfortable, getting ready to make this trip home, I notice the row ahead of me, there is a conflict that is beginning to brew between two people, two men, both of them claiming that the seat that they are fighting for, 6C, is their seat. Uh, there's a man who's already sitting in the seat. He's claiming it is his. And, and there's a man standing above him who's claiming it's his seat. Uh, and it, we're all about ready to go to sleep. But frankly, we're about ready for this fight that's about to break out. We're actually in the economy class kind of excited. What's going to happen? And before we come to blows between these two men, uh, the, the flight attendant has stepped in now to try to resolve this, this issue. And she, she's asking both men, both men claiming this is their seat. So she, she asked to see uh, their tickets. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. I'm sitting there and this man who's sitting in the seat hands this, this woman uh, his ticket. And uh, she says these words, um, uh, sir, you are sitting in 6C. Your ticket says 5C. You are actually in first class. Now, at this point, everyone is, you could hear a pin drop. I mean, everyone is just waiting for the verdict. And the second she says those words, sir, you're in 5C, you actually belong in first class. You could hear the, the <gasps> everyone in the economy class couldn't believe it. Now, as this man was <laughs> picking up his belongings uh, from underneath him and 
in the compartment above as he's grabbing his belongings to head to his first class seat. Six or so people from the economy section yelled out, hey buddy, you can have my seat if you want it. Friends, we are fighting to sit in someone else's seat and Jesus has declared to you all that you are currently looking for, you already have in him. Do you see it? He has the cure. Uh, Augustus Tuplety uh, wrote one of the great hymns of the church uh, in 1775, and he puts it this way. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Have you asked him for the double cure? Lift your eyes to the true king and dance in the streets to sing his praises for he alone is worthy. Let's pray. Our father, we thank you that even though we have set our eyes on the wrong places, you have given us everything we need in your son, Jesus Christ. He is the double cure we need. We receive the blessings you long to give us in the gospel. Allow us to live lives of contentment, trusting that you, Father, are good and you watch over all of our needs. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Let's sing together.